So before we begin, I know the first thing that's on your mind. Yes, I'm not wearing my standard outfit. Uh, it's actually still... Well, I'm pretty sure I know where it is, but I'm trying to get my recordings in now, especially with the Forge Job Fiesta and the KOTOR Lore Run coming up soon. Uh, by the time you see this... Uh, well, I guess actually that would have already happened because this is a video going live in July. But the point being, I'm trying to get a lot of advanced uh, work done, so I haven't actually... My clothes is all still... I'm still sorting that all out is what I'm trying to say. Long story short, though, I'll be back in the standard uniform later. I, I swear, I swear. Whoop, whoop. I'll also be knocking over my, my Canada Dry. Look, it's actually Canada Dry, guys. Look, look at this. You can, can you believe this? All right. Demon. Let's talk about a couple things. I don't have that much behind-the-scenes stuff to talk about. I mean, there's a few little funny anecdotes, like the fact that the male actors were starting to put on weight, so the producers started making fun of them, and some of the people behind costumes were starting to get irritated about having to make the outfits fit, you know, blah, blah, blah. Kind of the same thing that happened over on TNG, actually. Um, and there was some uh, issues with regards to... Uh, um, Voyager has this thing where they keep thinking that deuterium is rare. Now, I'm, I'm trying not to put this as a negative, but for those who don't know, deuterium is basically one of the more common things that exists. <laughs> You know, and um, the idea of them having a deuterium shortage, and this is something they keep doing, by the way. It's not like it's one episode, oh, we need deuterium. No, they just keep doing this over and over and over. And if they only they can find deuterium, oh, their problems will be solved. This isn't even the first time they've done this. But they'll do this again in the future, too. It will take until, like, season seven. In fact, it will literally take until season seven before the writers are like, oh, that's right, deuterium is common. And they'll swip, switch it around it, and they'll actually have a, a plot point being the fact that someone was stealing deuterium when deuterium is common, so why would they do that? And that's actually a plot point. I don't want to comment on that too much. I just mention it because it's clearly just a vector to try and get to the actual point of the episode. <clears throat> now, ow. no matter how we look at this, we have a weird situation here. Because so far... For me, all the way up to the previous episode, Living Witness, Season 4 has been knocking it completely out of the park. And there's at least one more really good episode coming up. One. But I feel like this episode is probably the beginning of Standard Voyager. Let me explain what I mean by that. This will really become solidified in a few episodes here. We're almost to Season 5. And I will be finally talking about something uh, soon-ish. Uh, not not too soon, but soon-ish, that, that I believe is the official, no really, we've officially uh, entered our new mentality of Voyager range, and that episode is, of course, Equinox. But I don't want to talk about that too much. Suffice it to say that Voyager has this weird problem in its later years, in seasons uh, 5, 6, and 7, mostly in 6 and 7, uh, but we'll be seeing this in season 5 too, I believe, where their episodes are not bad or good. They're both. And I mean that because they're not mediocre. They're not average. Parts of the episode are good. Parts of the episode are bad. And it's just this weird thing. And it's going to persist for, like, forever. Like I said, all the way up until uh, this, the last episode, which uh, will then break the tradition by being terrible. Um, but, yeah, everything everything about this is just... It's weird, and Demon, I feel like, is really where that kind of began, even though Equinox is the official, you know, new mode, good and bad mode engaged. The more you learn about the behind-the-scenes stuff of Voyager, the more it makes sense that that's what started happening. A lot of people started pushing for some new direction with the show, and that was working, and they were constantly bucking under the reins of Rick Berman, and that's why they never succeeded fully. 
I know that's a simplification, and Lord knows I fling enough bile at Rick Berman, and it is worth noting he is not the only person who is responsible for this problem. But there's no denying that he is someone who is responsible for this problem and is basically a huge contributor towards this difficulty. In other words, people were trying to be good, they were told no, and they kind of had to do what they could within the realm. So some things ended up being good and some being bad. Good example. This episode. The plot of this episode is mundane at best. The presentation of the plot is pathetic. The theme of the plot, the, the episode is nah, done. Not bad, not good, just done. But the character interaction is actually really good. And they decided to finally, finally do something with Harry Kim. Now I know, this isn't actually the first time. But this is the first time the writer sat down and said, Okay, we need to make Harry Kim a new character. How do we do this? Now, this is another aspect of that good and bad thing, because Harry Kim being an actual character, yes, finally! How do they decide to do it? Off-screen character development. Literally, his character arc is, off-camera, he was like, I don't want to be like this anymore. And then, bam, he wasn't like that anymore. And that's his character development. It, <laughs> you know? Um, this is something that they had been thinking towards for a while, and Garrett Wong was been, had been pushing for for a while, but it wasn't until the killing game that the support was finally done behind the scenes for this to happen, because again, as I talked about back in the killing game, Garrett Wong knocked out of the park, and Harry Kim was interesting, and everyone was like, oh, we could actually do something with this character. It's almost like they that we wrote a character and we can do something with him. What a freaking shock. And so... I mean, Deep Space Nine didn't tell us that you could do that sort of thing. Hell, TNG, for God's sakes, gave us that lesson forever ago. Anyone remember when Worf was a completely disinteresting character? Or basically everyone, actually, on TNG, if you get down to it? A lot of the season one characteristics basically weren't characters, you know? It's, it's not like this is news. But anyways, I'm getting off topic. Too much negativity. Too much negativity. The other thing that's interesting about this episode, though, is that the initial script was actually pitched much earlier. And this is something I'll probably be bringing up a few times up until we get to Equinox, okay? Bear with me. I know I keep referencing Equinox, but Equinox really is, ironically, something of a, uh, a fulcrum point of, of the storytelling of Voyager. And, and I will get there when we get there, and I'm hopeful not to be screaming and cussing too much when we get there. No promises. But... One of the ideas that had been circling the fandom for some time was, should Voyager get home? And those thoughts had already started circulating by this point in the series. We're in season four. You know, we, the, the show's established. DS9 was starting to wind down. And soon-ish, we would reach a point where Voyager is the only show on the air. The only Star Trek doing it by itself. Um, up until that point, it was just kind of an idea, idle idea being around. By the time, by that point in time, which I believe is Equinox itself, I believe uh, that's how it lines up. Season five ended, and DS Nine season seven ended. I could be wrong about that, um, but it's around that point in time that the actual producers of Voyager started asking themselves the same question: Should we get home? Should we get home? But way back here in season four and three. No, absolutely not. We've, we've got... No, no, no. That would be too risky. I believe that's actually a direct... Uh, well, not I shouldn't say a direct quote. But the entire intention of the quote that Rick Berman gave was too risky. They wanted to play it safe. And uh, th this was before... Uh, 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 Brennan Braga. I couldn't think of his name all of a sudden. God, I've been really busy this week. This was before Brennan Braga, Braga actually took over as executive producer. And the previous producer, who I will not name because she's uh, terrible... She really wanted things to just be normal and bland, and, and, and Rick Berman, of course, was totally in favor of that. So 
their response to this script idea being pitched was, nah. Now you might be like, well, what are you talking about? Demon has nothing to go with Back to the Alpha Quadrant. The original script that was pitched was the crew get back to the Alpha Quadrant, but they're the Silver Blood copies, and we kind of find out things, you know, in reverse kind of a situation. Now, I know that's not really going back to the Alpha Quadrant, but the fact that that script, which was pitched forever ago, was completely rejected out of hand because of the Alpha Quadrant connection really says something about the way the show was being handled under the under the hood at this point in time. It wasn't until here in Season 4 where they took it up and said, let's do something with this idea. And that leads us to Demon. Now, I, I this is a funny episode to look up because you got to look up Demon and not Demons. Demons is an excellent Enterprise episode. I, there's a few words you don't really hear, expect to hear in that order, do you? Excellent Enterprise episode. But it's true, uh, Demons is a fantastic Enterprise episode. This one is a lackluster Voyager episode, which, again, is... Well, that's a slightly more expected statement, let's just put it that way. Regardless, um, one of the things that they really had an opportunity to do in this episode was to talk about Y-class planets, something that wasn't M-class. So many times, even the producers, uh, Pillar, I believe, was one of the people behind this. I don't know, maybe it was Moore, actually, I'm not sure which. But anyways, one of the gentlemen behind this said, yes, we can actually do something that isn't on an M-class planet. This is going to be great. We're actually going to be able to explore something. And I actually remember when they started talking about, you know, the Y-class planet. I was like, oh, God, yes, that's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to see it. After all, we've already seen something like that before in TNG. You remember Galorndon Core in the episode The Enemy? That was a great example of exactly how you could showcase something that's like, oh my god, you know, and it's horrible and terrible and dark and bleak and you barely survive and, and oh god, you go outside and you get hit by lightning and there's storms and cold and it's wet and unpleasant. It was great. And then they get to this planet, unnamed, we'll call it the Silver Blood planet from now on, and all we have is it's Utah. Just before the sun setting. And that's it. It was mundane. And they try to talk... And this is, this is that bipolar thing again that Voyager is going to be starting doing more and more from now on. It's like they talk about, oh god, just being near it has damaged the shields, so we better land on it. And then we'll be fine. And, oh god, you know, it's going to be this horrible place that will destroy us. And yet we're walking around on the surface without issue in our suits... And in fact, the suits last a really long time, keeping people alive, even after they've passed out unconscious. Um, what? <laughs> but more than any of that, the visual effects team, and I hate to say this because I've given so much praise to the visual effects team for Voyager across its run, just really, really dropped the ball. And the planet felt mundane. At no point in time did I actually feel the threat or just difficulty of the Y class, the demon class planet. This should have been like this horrible, destructive world, and it really killed some of the scenes. Imagine how much more impact it would have had if you had this nightmare world where everything is just lightning and death and destruction, and there's fire in the distance. There's a firestorm going on, a fire lightning storm. That's something we have in real life on Earth, by the way. And, you know, horrible thing going on in the background. And you're watching it, and, and Kim, and there's the scene where Harry Kim is watching, and he says, it's beautiful, and I see this wonderful thing, and it's gorgeous. And, and the other two are just looking at him like, What? You know, I would have had so much more impact instead of Utah or Arizona or whatever. It's, it's you know, that, that read, it's just, ah. Okay. Um, so that, that, that was lacking some of the punch I felt that it should. However, one thing I do want to talk about that I really, really like is that 
Chicote really does a great, great showing in this episode. Robert Beltran is allowed to actually pull his balls out of his purse and do something with his character throughout the course of the episode. Like, I actually counted um, three separate instances in this episode, actually more than that if you get down to it, but three separate instances, someone comes to him and says, nah, 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 and, and, and Chakotay and just takes ownership of the situation, acts like a commander, just says, nope, deal with it, do this. Nope, deal with it, do this. Nope deal with it, do this. And I loved it. It was a great presentation of exactly how Chakotay would have been. And it's another one of those bipolar things. Because the plot of this episode is silly and the presentation is ridiculous, but the character stuff is really good. The inter interplay and dynamic between Harry and Tom, both the reals and the fakes, is really good. And it shows the chemistry between those two that's been present ever since the first episode. You remember I talked about that all the way back, like four years ago, or how long it's been now? Not four real year times, but four Voyager year times. When, you know, it's like, oh my god, there's so much chemistry in like the first scene the two of them are in. It's amazing. So that really helps pull the episode forward. And I'm going to start doing the thing with my hands. Those of you who saw E3 stuff, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but they, uh, I actually do talk with my hands a lot, but I try to do more motion with it um now i'm all self-conscious about it but no the uh and there was this whole thing about how uh you know chakotay does some good stuff taurus has some really good lines there's this great scene where vorik is talking about you know we cannot lose our cool and and it's like where'd you learn that from from tom paris oh well that's awesome you know there was so many good character moments in this episode and they did a really good job of that and that's the good part that's the part of this episode i really enjoyed One of the other things, though, that was kind of a shame, the sudden change in Harry's personality would have had more impact if it hadn't happened in this episode. And the reason why is obvious. This is Star Trek, okay? We've been watching Star Trek for a few decades at this point, right? And we know that if there's a main character who just kind of suddenly starts acting differently, something's probably up. You know, alien possession, impersonator, mind control, deep hidden secret. You know, something is wrong. The, and that's kind of the weird thing. They did this kind of fake us out, but then not really thing. Because Harry wakes up and he's different. And everyone, including me, when we were first watching, is like, ah, oh, Harry Kim is clearly you know, some horrible duplicate thing. And then he explains it, and then time goes on, and then he's a horrible duplicate thing. Except he's not. The Harry we saw at the beginning of the episode was actually Harry. So it was this weird fake-out situation that they did. And I feel like that might, his character development, if you can call it that, would have had more impact if it had happened in an episode where it wasn't actually possibly part of the plot. You know what I mean? Um, there was one scene that was really good and then immediately bad. You're, you're sensing a trend here, aren't you? Um, Tom is there, right? And, and they're there, and they're in the suits. And again, this scene would have had so much more impact if the demon-class planet, if the white-class planet, had actually been shown as horrible, which it wasn't. But imagine if it was. Just bear with me for a moment. Use your imagination. Play D&D for me with a moment. Planet's horrible. Death, darkness, destruction. And then Tom Paris is there. No, no suit. Just fine. Hey, guys, what's up? Complete normalcy to it. And he's like, hey. The moment had a bit of a, huh? to it, but if the planet had been presented properly, that moment would have been much more like what? You know, it would have had much more impact to it. It still had impact. It was still a good moment, just suddenly seeing Tom Paris there without the suit or anything. And it was a good WTF moment. It was then immediately destroyed because the writer lacks the ability to have subtlety. Now, Lord knows subtlety is one of the hardest things to write, and I'm terrible at it myself. 
But the fact that he just kept emphasizing that things were weird over and over. It, like He's like, hey, everything's great, and I feel wonderful, and everything's great, and this is great, and you should stay here, and isn't this air great, and we should stay here. And, and he just kept hammering the point over and over and over and over and over again. And it would just... It, it it robbed the moment of any suspense or mystery. The whole time we're like, yeah, okay. You know what's the, what's the big secret? Um. Now now I do like the overall concept of the silver blood idea. It is officially called the silver blood, even though in the script it's actually referred to as mercury. By the way, but the uh, the idea of the silver blood thing being a sentient proto uh, link you know, from the Changelings over in DS9, is actually an idea I really like. And the concept that it just kind of adapts and absorbs whatever's around it and suddenly happen to absorb a sentient being and just bam, like that, here's sentience. I felt like that that was a good idea that was actually well presented. I felt like Garrett Wong did a great job. Garrett Wong and um, Robert McNeil both did a good job of portraying people who were sentient and sapient beings who had no idea who and what they were and were still trying to discover what that meant because it was such a new thing to them that initially all they were doing was completely duplicating the initial, the original, right? But as And if you pay attention, it's actually kind of apparent as time goes on, an ant crawls across my desk and dies and they, their, their perspective changes a little bit over, uh, over, over time, right? So that was really good. And the idea that it wants desperately to continue to be alive, please, please, God, we need life now, we don't want to lose this, again, makes perfect sense. I would like the Silver Blade a lot more if not for the second episode in this duology, which is not the next one, and we will discuss it when we get there. I... If I'm honest, I don't want to watch that episode. Not at the state of mind I'm in in my life right now. But I owe it to you guys, so whatever. Final thoughts. I don't have much to say about this episode, as you can tell. Final thoughts, though. There's a... Well, actually, I have two more things. Let, let's go ahead and talk about a bad and a good. Let's keep this trend going. The first, the bad. A lot of... This episode actually had a lot of action scenes. Really. I, I know that sounds weird, but a lot of the scenes were, you know, no dialogue, no advancement of any of the aspects of story, just oh, ship and then landing. A lot of special effects money was blown on this episode. As much as I say that they screwed up on the planet, they did a really good job with a lot of the actual effects on the action but it was lacking in any energy for me. And I would love to hear from you guys if, if you totally disagree with me on this, or even if you agree with me on this, because I felt like all the, you know, okay, oh, we're in gray mode and everything's bad, and oh god, now we gotta go down to the planet, and then we land on the planet, then we gotta land the ship on the planet. None of it felt like it had any energy to me. It felt like we were just passing time to get to the next scene. And it's not like I don't like action. I love good action. Hell, some of my favorite action, some of my favorite episodes and movies of Star Trek have been things that involve a decent amount of action, right? It's just, it felt lacking here. And if I were to really say why, I could boil it down to three things. Number one, a bad editing job. Too many long shots. I've talked about this before. I don't really need to rehash this. Number two, the music. Wallpaper music. And again, I've talked about this a lot before. I really don't need to rehash this. And the third and final problem is they never really led up to it. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but one of the things that Enterprise did properly, at least once during season three, was they worked up to the point of desperation. 
too often Star Trek, and well, hell, not even Star Trek, too often a lot of works in television and movies and books want the desperation moment because it's a great moment for storytelling. And what we have in this episode is the desperation moment. We are desperately low on deuterium, but, you know, whatever. We're desperately low on resource A. We are super low on power. We are reduced to impulse drive. Now, that sounds ridiculous, and it actually kind of is. The idea that they could get to that point and then be screwed is ridiculous. I, I, for those of you not really aware, that's uh, not faster than light speeds that they're reduced to. Um, I don't know how much you know about math, but <laughs> going less than the speed of light is going to limit your search options by a lot, uh, especially if you have about a week to get anywhere. In fact, I've always wondered how they managed to find a planet at sublight drives that they only detected based on the, the astrometrics lab. It, whatever, plot holes, plot holes, moving along. Um, the point I'm trying to reach, though, they, the, the, the construction of that, that desperation point was bad. It's just all of a sudden, boom, oh god, we're super low on things and it doesn't make sense. If they had built up to it, I feel like the energy of those scenes would have had a lot more of the, of the impetus of the desperation feeling to it. And again, Enterprise did this right. Uh, the culmination episode of the desperation moment in Enterprise is probably the episode Damage, which is a damn good episode, by the way. But they, the point is they earned up to that. Several episodes, hell, the whole season, really, but several episodes directly led into Damage as Enterprise got worse and worse and worse and things got worse and they lost this and they lost this area and then, they t then this went thing wrong and then this thing went wrong and the whole time they've got a frickin' Death Star sitting over their head and it's just terrible and they built up to it. Voyager wanted to cheat. I talk about this so many times when I'm trying to teach people how to write. Don't cheat in your writing. Don't just skip to the good parts. I know. I know it's hard to do. I, I want to do it too. I want to be like, oh, I want to get to the good parts. But no, you have to earn it. You have to work up to it. And Voyager just, all right, here we are, desperation point. And it will be forgotten completely by the next episode too. That's the bad part. But I said I'd talk about a good part too. I wish there had been some consequence of this. Throughout the episode, there's a semi-comedic uh, semi element to Neelix and the Doctor's interactions. Basically, Neelix, wants, Neelix is trying to get several people places to sleep because they're shutting down sections of the ship for, to conserve power. By the way, credit where credit is due. That's a good idea. It makes total sense. And so sickbay was a good idea because they need to keep sickbay on anyways, right? So it's logical to keep power there, so therefore we'll have people sleep here. It'll be uncomfortable and cramped and horrible, but by God, at least we'll have some place to lay down, Right? The doctor's like, no, I want my own personal space. Now, the thing I like about that is the doctor is kind of um, petulant, I think is the word I want to use the whole time. And Neelix is petulant back. Right up to the moment that it's an actual crisis. The very moment someone actually actually come into sickbay, the difference in their perspectives becomes apparent. Neelix is like... Oh, God, yes, everyone up, we got to get out. Anything I can do, anything I can do to help is done, yes. And the doctor is just smug. He's like, yes, I have won. You can see it on his face. I have won this social encounter. But then it ends, and the Neelix says, thank you. Anytime, you know, thank you for your hospitality. Anytime you want to, you know, join me, you're welcome to. Genuine, genuine hospitality, genuine, um, uh, I don't even know the word, uh, consideration, you know. And the doctor's expression, he's like, that hits him in the face. He's there like, and you just see on his face as he realizes what a dick he's been. 
And I like that scene. And I wish it had some consequence. It was part of their character arcs that they went somewhere with it. But to my memory, they will never touch on that moment again. But that was a good moment and some really good character interaction, which, again, positive. That's all I got. Demon. Not to be confused with demons. Next episode, well, I don't know what the next one is. I'm, I'm kind of behind. I'm, next episode, I hopefully will have actually my uniform all set up to go. See you around, guys. Computer, lights, maximum illumination. Everybody up. Rise and shine, Mr. Neelix. What's going on? It's checkout time. It's the middle of the night. Medicine knows no time clock. I've got patients on the way, and there's no more room at the inn. Patients? Is somebody sick? I can't answer that until I've examined them, now can I? Examine who? Ensign Kim and Lieutenant Paris. Is there anything I can do to help? Yes, you and your friends can vacate the premises. Right, move! You heard the doctor, this is an emergency evacuation. Move, move, move! Thanks for your hospitality. And if you ever need a place to stay, my door's always open.